Welcome to Coffee Talk for the month of June, dear listeners. I am Tracy. And I'm Brian. And thank you for everybody who has continued to tune in to us week after week. We deeply appreciate your support. And we would very much love it if you would tell a friend about us. Yes, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and especially your enemies. Uh, we love you. We really appreciate your listenership. Yes. And thank you to Lucy, who has been keeping up our TikTok for us. Thank you, Lucy. And guess what, Brian? We have an update on the upstairs lounge fire. I heard something about this the other day. Do tell. So the New Orleans City Council has officially apologized for the upstairs lounge fire 49 years later. Robert Feisler, a historian who authored a 2018 book about the fire, gave a presentation with harrowing details about the victim's sufferings along with LGBTQ historian and writer Frank Perez and Gambit political editor Clancy Dubois. Dubose. Dubose, sorry. We love you, Clancy Dubose. He covered the aftermath as an 18-year-old intern at the Times-Picayune, and several council members were moved to tears by the presentation. Feisler said that the second-floor venue hosted a variety of performances and other celebrations. He said, not enough is said about the greatness of the Upstairs Lounge gay bar before the disaster. It was a community gathering place, a playhouse for amateur melodramas, a venue for drag performances, Easter bonnet contests, holiday shows, and charitable fundraisers. And last week, as we discussed, several victims of the fire are in an unmarked grave, even some of those whose bodies were identified. We talked about Ferris LeBlanc last week. His family is still trying to bury him, a World War II veteran, in a military cemetery instead of the Potter's Field in New Orleans, where he currently is. So he was a World War II II veteran, and his family is still trying to get his remains relocated to a military cemetery. Well, the fact of the matter is, there have been members of the gay community participating in every American war. It's just that it's previously been swept under the rug. Right. Right. Pretending like these people really didn't exist or pretending like they were just, uh, they were straight because of course, to some people to be a patriotic American, you have to be straight. And of course that's not factually true at all. It is not true at all. You're correct. No matter what your sexual orientation is, if you have served, thank you. Like I can tell you for a fact, there were members of the gay community in every Marine Corps unit I've been in, uh, primarily uh, WM's women Marines who were gay. Uh, that's always been pretty well known in the Marine Corps. And you said uh, to me before that they usually worked in the motor pool, right? Uh, mechanic, uh, motor T mechanic or motor T driver, a uh, very common MOS for uh, a lesbian in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my experience, I've never seen any of them outed under any of the discriminatory policies because they're usually uh, too useful to the readiness of any given unit well, to, to, to out them because they're typically very hardcore Marines. And uh, I, 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 for example, I previously heard one uh, gunnery sergeant tell me that he likes uh, 
uh, gay WMs because they can't get pregnant and they won't distract any any of my uh, any of my male Marines, you know. Plus, he also said they're they're good at their jobs. Right, but also I just want to point out that you should never out anybody for any reason at all, no matter if they're useful to you or not. I agree. It's, I, I understand yeah. what you're saying. Right. But I'm right. saying in general, if somebody doesn't want to be outed, don't do that to them. Now, for Pride Month, the, the Marine Corps' official uh, social media did post. Oh, that's uh, right. You showed me it was a rainbow. Um, yeah, rainbow-colored uh, ammunition cartridges on a helmet. Okay. Yeah. Celebrating Pride Month and celebrating the the heritage of the LGBTQ community in the Marine Corps, which I believe that this year might be the first time and and it's it's been overdue considering the, the the outstanding contributions from the gay community to the Marine Corps. Right. Now, given when I was in my early twenties in the Marine Corps, I I honestly never thought I'd say something like that. But you know, I've grown since then. Well, you know, I just want to say that I came from a town that was homophobic, covertly racist, small-minded, and you know what? I left that town and I educated myself. So if I can do that, so can you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone should grow grow past their own ignorance. Very well said. Everyone. Now, uh, Robert Feisler read a statement from LeBlanc's family that says, Our family has been trying every avenue to get Ferris buried in a proper military cemetery with the proper burial a World War II veteran deserves. Ferris was a gay man who was loved and accepted by his family, but we were never notified of his death and we will never know why. His body had been identified so the city knew his name. Perhaps it was all just too much effort on their part. We all hope for the day when this story will end as it should. So how about that? He was identified and they knew who he was, but his family was never informed. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things the city of New Orleans was apologizing for. Yes. Like I had, there was an interview a couple of days ago that I listened to on, on WWL radio. That's our big local radio station, for those who don't know. Where where the the author of that book talked about the indifference with the New Orleans Police Department while the scene was working. Right. He also said that uh, the paper at the time, the Times-Picayune, wouldn't even print the word homosexual. Mm. And, and the funny thing about that, the Times-Picayune was considered to be fairly progressive at that time well it, it but took, apparently not progressive enough not progressive enough no but the new orleans city council vice president jp morell said that the city we are today is not the city we were then and that the failure of the city to acknowledge what happened inherently prevents the city from learning from it he also said that he and the rest of the council are going to help families like the leblancs LeBlanc. LeBlanc's. You know, LeBlanc's. LeBlanc's. Uh, get their loved ones their desired burials. So now the New Orleans City Council is personally stepping in to try to help families 
relocate the remains of their loved ones. And it's it's amazing. It's 2022 and it's taken it's really taken that long. Yes, but, and we're and you know, we're also in 2022 and unfortunately this week the Supreme Court saw fit to take away a certain right from people and they don't want to stop there. They will want to come for gay marriage. They'll want to come for everything else that we've enjoyed over the past 50 years. They're trying to, they're trying to regress us. And I'm going to tell you, if you're dear listeners, do not let them do it. Do that, not, do not turn over. There, 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 there is a way to fight this. What, what, what's the most disturbing thing about this is this is a Supreme Court decision that actually strips people of rights, and it's been a very long time. It's not like since that's happened, and it's not like when, when uh, the Supreme Court ruled uh, for marriage equality, we felt good about that because it expanded the rights of people to get married. Yes, when 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 there's legislation or a court ruling that expands people's rights or affords people rights that they should have had all along. Uh, it, it, it's something fulfilling and long lasting. Uh, but when a law is passed or a decision is made that strips people of rights, the satisfaction that those who supported this type of action is actually quite fleeting and at the end of the day, the people who wanted these rights taken away will realize that their life has not been enhanced or improved or fulfilled in any kind of way. But until this wrong is corrected, those who have been stripped of those rights will continue to feel the 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 suffering that has begun with this 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 miscarriage during this miscarriage of justice now what i would say to conservative gun owners who believe that this is a really good thing and they're celebrating this ask yourself if there was is a, it worth it to, to lose your wife possibly because she has an ectopic pregnancy or is it maybe worth losing your wife because the baby that she's carrying has died in the womb or how would you like it if any woman you had relations with didn't want to tell you and decided to get a back alley type abortion during which, and I'm basing this account on an actual incident where the woman is told to take her clothes off, lie back on the kitchen table, and the person inserts a razor blade, slashing through the uterus, placing his left hand over the woman's mouth as she's screaming and telling her to shut up as he's cutting her up. And that's an attack. Yes. That really sounds exactly like an attack. It doesn't even sound like an abortion. Exactly. And the lady who this ha who this happened to 
Uh, it was on a recent NPR show. I heard her account. Uh, she fled to an emergency room, which unfortunately was at a, a, a Christian hospital. And while she was receiving treatment for her vaginal wounds, the doctor chastised her and told her it was God's punishment. Did So this is the type of treatment for women that's going to be happening again because of this because of this outrageous decision but the other thing the other point i wanted to make is you know let's say if you're if you're a gun owner which well well we are okay and there was a supreme court decision that would that would state that deadly force may not be used to defend your home under any circumstances whatsoever okay how would that make you feel Understanding that, of course, deadly force to protect your home is an absolute last resource. Well, so is an abortion. Yes. Okay. So, in my humble political opinion, for conservatives who love their guns, that that would be the equivalent using losing your right to use deadly force if you so need it. You see as most gun owners don't use deadly force, most women don't have abortions. But everyone should be afforded their constitutional rights, regardless of how you swing politically. Yes, everybody should be afforded access to make decisions, medical decisions, especially about their own body. You know, like if you're in a hospital, okay, and if you need to have uh, an operation or maybe you, you might be to a point where machines will have to live for you, you have the choice to... Put a, put a do not resuscitate on yourself so that you can die peacefully and you won't have to have your life prolonged by machines. So you as a person who has maybe been the victim of a deadly accident or something like that, you have the, you have that, you still have that choice to like choose whether or not you want to die, but you can't make a decision whether or not you can choose something for yourself medically or emotionally, physically, because there's all sorts of reasons why a person would want to have an abortion and none of them are your business. Exactly. It's one thing not to believe an abortion or believe that, that it's right. Okay. But it's another thing when you want the government to have an overreach, to have the power to force women to have children. Yes, and what what myself and many others are afraid of is that it won't stop here. They want to come for contraception. Some some people do need contraception to regulate their periods, and some people need contraception to not have periods at all. There's all kinds of different reasons, again, why people take contraceptions or contraceptives and they're not your business. So this ruling, of course, opens up a huge can of worms. Yes, it does. And it, it's, it's going to open for now. It, it, it's going to open the way for other things that are going to be very unwelcome to many people. Yes. So if, you know, if it hasn't been clear to any of you listening to this, yes, we are we are pro-choice. 
And I am going to leave a link in the show notes to the Louisiana Abortion Fund and probably from a couple of other states where abortion is now outlawed. So you can perhaps help women who need abortions in other states get to states that the procedure can be, can be performed for them safely. And perhaps you'll want to leave the a link for the uh, Louisiana ACLU. Oh, a good idea. Yes, Louisiana ACL, you could always use your support. And I believe that they're trying to work on something right now regarding this. And, you know, just know that if you are in a situation where you need help, help is available to you in some sort of way. I don't have all the answers. All I can do is leave links. And hopefully, if you ever need that information, it's there. And you can make a decision about what to do for yourself. And also, those of you listeners who are outside of Louisiana, of course, you can you can join and make contributions to the uh, to the national ACLU. Yes, yes, you can. Which uh, now, not everyone agrees with everything that the ACLU does, but yeah, even me. Right, even me too. But the ACLU does believe in protecting the liberties of everyone. Yes. Even though they, they, they've taken some unpopular cases, though. But they did so for the sake of precedent and protect and protecting the rights of, well, I guess you could say friendlier people. Yes. Because, I mean, at one point they did defend... Uh, the rights of neo-Nazis to march, but they were really defending the rights of everyone to march. Well, yes, and whether or not that that was uh, um, a good idea, something that we can debate at another time, but we still have not officially gotten into the subject of today's top of today's episode. And that is a woman who I am sure would be very, very furious about about the Supreme Court's recent ruling. Brian, have you ever heard the name Barbara Scott? Yes. Okay, do you know who she was? Don't remember. (laughs) It's okay, it's okay. So Barbara Scott was born in 1936 and grew up during segregation in Webb, Mississippi, which was a small town of about 526 people. So, you know, a, a young lady from a small town in Mississippi. During a high school field trip, she discovered the underbelly of the New Orleans French Quarter. <laughs> so you can imagine, just, just think about that. You're coming from a small town, you come to the city and you discover, uh, or you, you witness men engaging in oral sex in a club. Wow, yeah, that, that's a lot for someone from a town like that just to, to discover. Yes, she also witnessed a lesbian couple enjoying an evening together when a male approached them uninvited and started hitting on them. One of the ladies read him the riot act and then threw him against the wall. <laughs> and Barbara Scott said that, that was the moment she fell in love with New Orleans. After high school, she studied at Mills she studied art at Millsaps College in Mississippi before transferring to the Newcomb College Institute at Tulane University. Along the way, she spent a year in Japan studying with renowned artist Hirisho Kato. 
And while studying in Japan, she was arrested for espionage. Now, I couldn't find any more details about that, but needless to say, the charges did not stick. Yeah, that sounds pretty bizarre. Yes. Uh, Later on down the line, she married a man named Michael Scott, who is not the same Michael Scott that we know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he was also in the air and space industry, which is a lot also like the Michael Scott we know, which is so funny. (laughs) (laughs) And they moved to San Francisco and had three sons. Barbara was a working mom and an account executive with a prominent public public relations firm, but she missed New Orleans. And when Lockheed Martin opened in New Orleans, Michael took a job there and they moved back. Yeah, Martin Marietta said the name of the local facility. Is that the one in New Orleans East? Yes, it is the one in New Orleans East. Uh, one of it, it's, it's had several claims to fame. There's like a Saturn rocket that was built there. The external fuel tanks for the space shuttle were built there. And they're involved in some of the newer rocket projects, too. In 1967, Barbara bought an old townhouse at 719 St. Peter Street and had it rezoned so she could open a, re- open a restaurant called the Fatted Calf. Have you ever heard of that? Place? That sounds familiar. Yeah, well, it, it's no longer in business, but when I was looking up information for this topic, mm-hmm. and I, I looked up the Fatted Calf, and a lot of people remember it and miss it. Apparently, they had really good burgers. Yeah, I never ate there. Yeah, I'll never ate there, but I, I heard of it. Well, the fatted calf was a local favorite and named one of America's most unique cafes by Adventure Magazine. Now, Barbara's attention to detail and repairs to old buildings, I, she uh, restored a building at Burgundy Street, and she also restored the building that the fatted calf was in. She won... She was recognized by the city and got two Vukare Restoration Awards. Oh. And by this time, Barbara is 32. She is divorced and living her life as a lesbian who was out of the closet. Good for her. Good for her. In 1970, she ran for state representative in the New Orleans District, focusing on women, the queer community, the black community, civil rights, and legalizing cannabis. Oh, okay. Okay. That sounds good. The following year, Barbara Scott and a coalition of feminist activities, uh, sorry, feminist activists, not activities, sorry. Well, well, activists are up to feminist activities, so (laughs) there's that. Uh, They founded the Distaff, which was the longest-running feminist newspaper in America. It was edited by Mary Gemmon, and the paper featured writers such as Pat Denton, Clay Latimer, Phyllis Perrin, Suzanne Farr, Darlene Olivio, Donna Swanson, and several others who constituted a key flank in the second wave feminist movement. So, Brian, here we have one woman, okay? She's running a restaurant. She's raising three kids. She ran for office. and She put together a feminist newspaper. Do you think that was enough for her? Probably not. No one like that is ever satisfied with what they're doing, and and nor should they be. Well, you would be right about that. She opened the New Orleans Hotel in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and advertised it as a feminist hotel. 
There was a club in the basement that catered to everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation. And Eureka Springs became a mecca to the queer community and feminists. Pretty cool, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And at a certain point, Barbara decided to move her sons to Eureka Springs. And she raised them there until they were in high school. And they relocated to Mississippi. And it was during that time in Mississippi where Barbara met Mary DeSobre. They lived together and traveled the world. And at the age of 47, Barbara went back to Tulane University and earned four master's degrees. Wow. She also earned a PhD in gerontology, which is the study of aging. Wow. And unfortunately, after 18 years together, Mary died of cancer and their Mississippi home had been destroyed by Katrina. Yeah, many... That was the forgotten destruction of Hurricane Katrina was all the Gulf Coast uh, part of Mississippi. It was just leveled. Yeah, completely leveled. And because it's not as famous as New Orleans, it didn't get as much attention. And it really should have. Yeah, they the, the Mississippi Gulf Coast took the direct hit from Katrina. New Orleans actually didn't, which is why the, most of the damage from Katrina and New Orleans was from flooding. Well, from the levees breaking. Correct. Yeah. Not, yeah. And that's why it flooded was because the levees broke. Yeah. Not because of the storm itself. Which is what makes it a man-made Katrina for New Orleans, a man-made disaster. Yes. For the Mississippi Gulf Coast, that it was a natural disaster. Exactly. Thank you for putting it that way. Good job. At the age of 80, Barbara remarried a woman named Miriam. And as far as I know, they're still together. And in recent, recent years... Barbara has settled into a quiet, peaceful life in past Christian on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. She is revisiting her art and is has is in the process of creating a series of sculptures called Goddesses, which have appeared in a number of shows. So here, we, so that is the just a very brief overview of a woman who has left an undeniable mark on the city. Yeah, and. Yeah. It's it's proof that someone from any community can contribute, uh, make their city a better place. It doesn't matter who you are. That's true. It doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, like I said earlier, even if you come from a small town, you can educate yourself. You can grow beyond where you came from. A lot of people do it. Yes, very true. Yeah. Now, next week, we are returning to our typical discussions of murder, mayhem, and crime. And we are going to be talking about the reversal of a certain Jim Crow law that has also left a mark on the state of Louisiana and not in a good way. You know what I'm talking about, Brian? Mm, yeah. 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 All right. Well... Thank you so much for listening to us again this week, everybody. We will be back with another episode, as usual, next week. So until that time, be safe, be kind. Remember that we're all humans and don't park next to vans. And happy Pride. Happy Pride. And if, if it's dark, if it's dangerous, it does not feel safe to you, don't be there in the first place. 
And if you are talking to a member of law enforcement in an official capacity and you are not the victim or a witness to a crime, lawyer up. And that's actually especially important to mention this week because I almost forgot to mention that the Supreme Court has also taken away the requirement that law enforcement, if you are arrested, they no longer have to read you your Miranda rights. You still have those rights, but they don't have to read them to you. And this can be a discussion for another time, but what I'm concerned about is the ripple effect that it might not be taught in police academies anymore that they have to read the Miranda rights to you. Which that won't be the case with the New Orleans Police Department because the New Orleans Police Department is still under the federal consent decree, which that is one of the many things stipulated in the consent decree. Um, but uh, brush up on your Miranda rights if you don't know them. Just be quiet. That's your biggest one. Don't, just be quiet and demand a lawyer. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Don't incriminate yourself ever. Oh, and if you are, and if you're one of the people who are going out to protest, just one last thing: just be very, very careful. Be very careful about who you're around. Listen to the people who are organizing the protest. They've been out there. They've done it, and they're trying to do it to where nobody gets hurt. And also keep this in mind, okay? Be your own lawyer before you need a lawyer, okay? The main objective for a lawyer in a criminal defense procedure, uh, procedure is to get you the best possible outcome. That's a key phrase, best possible outcome, okay? But before it leads to that, be your own lawyer. Th ask yourself in your mind before you get yourself in trouble, what is the best possible outcome I can get for myself right here and now? And that will be your correct course of action. All right. Well, we're really going to go now. So good night. Good night.